0: and to support us all to raise our children with more awareness, connection, and love. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Aware Parenting Stories podcast. Today, I'm really happy to welcome back Jay Singh. Jay, thanks so much for making time to come back and talk to us again. I really loved our conversation last time, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this one takes us.
1: I am equally excited to be here, Joss. Thanks for having me again.
0: So Jay was in episode 61 and we had a really lovely conversation there about fatherhood, about how we can support fathers to to come on board with a more conscious way of raising our children, about some of the challenges that fathers face in this parenting journey. And we decided that we would have another one and dive a little bit more into some of these topics and explore some other things too. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I really highly recommend that That was episode 61. And just to briefly introduce you, Jay is a men's coach who works with fathers on their relationship with themselves and their partners and their children and their sense of purpose in life. And I'll put all the links in the show description to all of his wonderful offerings. So maybe we could start the conversation today. We talk quite a lot on this podcast about how difficult it is for us to be raising our children in this conscious way, when at the same time, we are also living in a way that is so far removed from how we actually evolved to live and what we as a species really need in order to thrive And if we look back at our ancestors and the way that humans, for the vast majority of human history, like 200,000 years of human history, humans lived together in groups where the primary focus of the, the group was the well-being, the thriving and the survival of the group. And how in that process and in that way of living, we, of course, had access to support and our children had multiple figures with whom they felt attached and and who were safe people to support them. And we had companionship within the roles of parenting as well. So we weren't doing this in isolation, which is often what makes it so incredibly difficult to, to parent in this way. So I'd love to start there looking at, you know, the stresses of how we're living now, being so far removed from how we evolved to live as humans and how that impacts particularly fathers and fatherhood experience.
1: That's a great, great topic. It's a huge topic.
0: <laughs> we
1: yeah. We've <could, laughs> yeah. um, got a lot of directions with, but I mean some of the things that pop out for me in that overarching topic is, I mean, one, we are I think tribal beings by evolution. And we are trying out this experiment right now of living for the most part, siloed off in little boxes with small nuclear families. So we don't have, you know, kind of multi-generational homes any longer, and we don't kind of spread the load out of raising children. And also, I think having a, a really active role for, let's say, the elders in our culture that is, you know, kind of absent. A lot of times, folks as they age are, you know, they're ending up in a retirement home of some form, where you know they're being cared for, but they're no longer seen as the source of wisdom and support. And I think the the lack of that tribal community just puts a lot of added pressure on, especially young parents, mothers and fathers in those early, especially those early years. But through the whole parenting journey, not having other, you know, significant figures in their children's lives creates a lot of challenges. Another, I think, big piece that we've lost in our modern culture are the rites of passage that often accompany tribal culture, and that uh, lack of you know, those rites of passage are ways where a lot of times we just, in many ways, we just kind of keep our kids siloed in schools as a place to just kind of organize childcare through age 18 or or beyond. Um, And we don't give our children a defined role or a way to contribute to their family or their tribe or their community. Um, And kids, I think a lot of times they, especially as they move into teenage years, they yearn for something more substantial. In terms of how they can show up and contribute and we don't offer that and so i think a lot of the behavior that many teens find themselves in in terms of acting out is is partly contributed to because of the lack of a defined role and just kind of being you know their main purpose is being being in school um a lot of times and i think along with that that we don't have formal rites of passage for you know men moving into fatherhood or adulthood or boys moving into manhood um, that prepare us for the intensity that is required, you know in in that journey and the ways that it humbles us. And so we have a lot of men, you know, as fathers men I think who just aren't aren't ready to square up to the intensity of fatherhood and instead find themselves wanting to escape or numb out from the experience and aren't willing to meet it head- on and deal with the emotional discomfort, the physical strain and challenges of, let's say, sleep deprivation, or just the emotional grind of, you know, our, our kids. So I think there's this, there's so many different ways. Those are just a couple of them. I mean, another big thing too, is that we evolved to be mostly outside all the time. And now for the most part, we spend huge amounts of time indoors, and we spend a lot of time in technology. And we're also way overstimulated. Um, and so our kids are overstimulated. We're overstimulated. Our attention is on a thousand different things. There's an expectation to be available all of the time. And our brains aren't designed to be able to take and process all of that information and, and sensory stimulation all the time. And so we're, we're, we're conducting this massive experiment with <laughs> humanity right now in our kind of modern day culture um, that is a huge departure from the kind of roots of humanity.
0: Yes, indeed. It's really, it's it's almost unbelievable when we think how far we've moved away from our natural ways of living in, in really quite a short period of time. If you're thinking of the whole of human history in an hour, it's only really in the last five minutes that we've been starting to live in this way. And really only in the last, I don't know, 30 seconds that we've been so overstimulated, so disconnected from each other and living in a way that pushes our nervous system almost constantly into these chronic states of of hyperarousal and stress. And the only way to deal with that is to then go into these chronic states of dissociation and numbing out. It's very, very hard to navigate that. So you're kind of going from one to the other, but in this chronic state of your nervous system not being in a calm, balanced, connected, relaxed state. And uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to you a bit about that for fathers, because the impact of that experience on our emotional and physical health is now really well understood. And yet, here we are just pushing through, carrying on. So I wonder what you would like to say about that in relation to fathers and how fathers might be able to counter some of that, to bring more calm relaxed connected balanced nervous system periods into their daily life well, what do you find helpful to support fathers with that
1: so i think one of the biggest things is just first there's an awareness piece around it right That that's what is happening and how we're not really that over the course of human evolution we haven't really we haven't evolved in a place where we have so much you know so much demand on us both in terms of the amount of work and just expectations we have you know the the kind of modern level of demand on any parent but i mean fathers in this example is extraordinary in terms of the number of responsibilities we carry and many times it's kind of independently or by ourselves and within a household and so there's there's that and then there's the constant you know bombardment or numbing out using things like social media on a phone so i think one of the things that I think a lot of men benefit from is just seeing an awareness of where their nervous system is and how amped up it might be, or how um, just dysregulated we might be emotionally because of, let's say, you know, something that we're frustrated about in our work, or the behavior of one of our children, or you know, an, an argument that we've had with our our partner, and you know, that putting us in the state of. You know feeling emotionally dysregulated whether we're upset or angry about something like that and then you know a lot of times we don't get out of that and so we stay stuck in this kind of smoldering low to high grade level of dysregulation in the background and for many men they're not even aware that that's where they are so i think one of the pieces is just becoming aware of that happening and another powerful piece is finding ways to consciously transition throughout the day between activities you know so many people now work from home you know since the pandemic and you know when we go from let's say our our home office working to 7 seconds later we're in the living room with our family and we haven't chosen to make a conscious transition to let's say just take a few big deep breaths or maybe do a breathwork practice or go outside for a short walk or maybe exercise at those transition points to allow ourselves a little bit of a nervous system reset and to then be able to show up and be ready to then hold space for whatever's happening in the home environment right whether it's a kid that's had a hard day at school or it's a partner who just needs a listening ear and if we move quickly from work and having our own things that we've been carrying and we want to offload, you know they' become it's, it's easy for us to trigger one another in those states And so if we can create a little bit of space, and just get in the habit of, let's say, taking a couple of minutes to do some, you know, nervous system hygiene, if you will, rather than, let's say, just looking at our phone to see what emails have, you know, popped in between on our on our walk down, let's say, the stairs or down the hallway. So there's these little tiny moments that, if we choose to create a little bit of space, that can really help to again, just create a little bit of capacity to be able to meet some of the inherent storms, the emotional storms that we're going to encounter in our in our home lives.
0: Love that. I love that term, the nervous system hygiene. I think that's a really nice way of putting it. But really what you're talking about is like self-connection moments and how important that is to, to bring our awareness to what's going on in our bodies, what we're feeling and how we can bring some some calm some restoration some love some compassion just some awareness and connection to ourselves regularly throughout the day as a way to counter some of that fight flight energy of moving from one one chaos and one stress to another you know it's interesting i remember somebody saying something about how when you when you go to open your computer in the morning and you're checking your emails you know, it pushes your body often into this response to threat that we are physiologically designed to have in order to survive. But it's not actually a survival situation when you switch on your computer and you're opening an email, and yet your body experiences that as as such. So, I guess it is a really, it's a really powerful way just to bring some awareness into what's going on, how we're feeling and and these states that our body goes into and how we can support ourselves to come back to balance. But that's a lot to learn, isn't it, for for people to, to understand? How do you go about explaining that to men that you support?
1: So, you know, the biggest kind of starting tool is just to do a, a feelings and needs check-in. We'll do that as a practice where multiple times a day I will ask men to pause, take a deep breath, and just try and name and identify what they're feeling. And if it's an emotional state that they can kind of put a name on, that's great. Sometimes men they just draw a blank, and I'll ask them, "Well, what, just name name some of the sensations you are feeling in your body, whether it's you know physical fatigue or it's let's say tightness or contraction somewhere or a lot of tension." And so if men can get to a place where they can start building a habit around just bringing awareness to what am I feeling right now? And then the next thing I'll have them do is I will have them say, whatever that feeling is, let's say I'm, I'm feeling angry. And what I'll have them say is that, and feeling angry is a right way to feel. So it's validating our emotional state. Because for so much of our early childhood, usually, and you know the rest of our lives, a lot of times our negative emotional range was we were shamed for feeling something or we were told to suppress it and so for many of us we actually started just completely dissociate from the negative range of our emotionality where we're not even aware of how we're feeling especially if it isn't just kind of blood-curdling anger or something like that and so there's and then i'll ask men the third sequence in that that little practice and this can be done in a you know 20 seconds 30 seconds is to just try and identify what do they need in that moment might be that i need to you know, go step on the back porch for one minute and just have a fresh breath of air before I continue whatever's going on in the kitchen or something like that. And so it's little simple practices like that, but the repetitions are where it's really powerful. You know, you can see kind of no change, but after a while men start to recognize what their emotional baseline is. They start to be able to identify how am I feeling right now? And then, and then validating that feeling. It's not that feeling, let's say, angry at your partner is a, like, a good way to feel on a regular basis, but in that moment, it's a right way to feel, right? If you're feeling that way, it's, there's no, nothing wrong with that feeling. We can't control the feeling. We can we can influence how long we stay stuck in it. And then trying to identify the unmet need behind the feeling, again, can help us avoid getting into that felt state again and also help us move out of it.
0: love that practice. That sounds really powerful. And it really fits well with aware parenting because uh, we often come back to this list of three things in aware parenting in order to support our children and ourselves too. And the first one is around information and understanding, what what they're understanding, what information they need in order to make sense of this situation. And then looking at you know, what the unmet needs might be in this moment, or then looking at what their feelings might be. It doesn't have to be in that order, but those are the three elements there. And that's basically what you're describing here. You're describing giving men more information so that they have the awareness to be able to to tune in and to start to make sense of their experiences in each moment and then you're looking at actual naming of the feelings and and I love that you brought in that thing around validating because that's often where we might go in and make ourselves wrong for feeling something or we might criticize ourselves or go into that kind of harshness but actually you're talking about acceptance aren't you and then the third one yeah around unmet needs which is so often part of the picture, a big, big part of the picture. And I love that uh, you're supporting men to get into the nuances of feelings because often our emotional vocabulary that we have learned as children is like happy, sad, angry, confused, and that's about it. But we're, what we're talking about is, is actually looking in, in much more depth at what, what we're actually feeling. How do you support men to get a more... A more varied and a more nuanced understanding of feelings
1: so i mean one of the things i'll I'll give men in one of the programs i run is literally a list of emotions and feelings right so we'll we'll i'll encourage them to print it off and post it in different places and a lot of times i'll have men do a practice like this every time they go to the bathroom so say like post it by the mirror in the bathroom and that way you just end up looking at it and you take this 20, 30 seconds to check in. You don't have to tell anyone what you're gonna go do. You're just doing it if we can kind of add these types of little habits onto something that we already do a lot of times each day, it makes it easy to implement it. So one of them is just literally just looking at the list, you know, as a prompt to to, to attune to what we might be feeling inside. And then other ones are exploring things. And another topic that comes to mind is exploring our resentments. You know, a lot, a lot of times. As busy fat fathers, we end up building up this long list of resentments that we might carry. It might be you know, towards our partner, it might be towards our kids, it might be towards you know other family members, it might be towards the people we work with, or whatever it might be. And a lot of times, you know, we we kind of take on the sense of burden, right, with those resentments, and we kind of resign ourselves to like, well, I can't meet my needs, or I can't, let's say tend to the sense of purpose or calling I have in my heart. I'm I'm too busy or I have too many demands on my plate or there's no way for me to exercise today or there's no way for me to have a down moment. Right. And we get kind of stuck in some of the stories that we tell ourselves around that. And oftentimes I'll have men explore the idea of where are they responsible for creating or contributing to the underlying situations that they're resentful about in their lives. And a lot of times just Starting to kind of sift through these things that are, let's say, underlying the surface level disagreements or arguments or tensions that might be present in a home, starting to look at, well, what what are we like what unmet needs, again, are often sources of resentment? like where what what are we feeling frustrated about or what's going on under the surface? And so just starting to explore that landscape that a lot of times we're not talking about in a household, at least on a regular basis. Um a lot of times it's a, area of conversation that can be triggering if we haven't regularly talked about it with a partner and had a healthy, constructive environment or container for conflict. And so those types of things, I think, can really help men start to unpack, where am I? How am I feeling? What am I frustrated about? Or what's going on? Because a lot of us carry all this stuff. And then we just, we keep shoving it under the surface, keep shoving it down, keep shoving it down. But eventually, it, it comes out sideways, whether it's, you know, some snide comment or it's, you know, us blown up at a kid when the kid's behavior is totally reasonable, but it's, we're carrying all this tension and then we're starting to get triggered from our own emotional, you know, patterns and wins from childhood.
0: Yeah. It's such a big process, isn't it? Yeah and i think identifying unmet needs is also quite a challenging thing to for all of us to relearn how to do because i think most of us grew up in in families where our needs weren't really acknowledged and that often we had we might have expressed needs and then not had them heard or we might have just been our needs might have just been completely just not not nobody paid any attention to them. And so we disconnect from our needs at quite a young age. And then as adults in this very demanding and stressful role in parenting, we trying to reconnect with what our needs might be in order to be able to find small ways to meet them. It's really challenging, on the one hand, trying to understand what those needs might be, let alone trying to find ways to actually meet them. What are some of the ways that you support fathers with that process?
1: That's a great question. I mean, this is work that I, when I'm working with fathers, I don't try and pretend like I've somehow figured all these things out. And I'm, you know, you know, I I am a work in progress. And so this, this is a huge edge for me, I have a huge tendency to, to, to fall back on the behavior of I'll suck up my own needs. I'll, I'll, I'll silence my own thoughts about what I might need, or I'll just kind of abandon that. And I will come in and try and help out whoever's, you know, in a state of need or crisis. So we have some big, listen, my wife is really upset. or having a really hard time. It, like there is this strong impulse in me to be like, okay, like she's, she's emotionally in a state of distress or discomfort. That becomes something that triggers my, you know, my old kind of Patterns of wounding, it might trigger my dad feeling frustrated or upset about something. And then I'll have having watched my mother as a kid, abandon her needs or not be attuned to them, and then start attuning to like, what is what what can we do to get dad more regulated again. And so I saw that behavior modeled a lot and started to copy it. And, you know, so in my own relationship, I will frequently if someone's having, you know, a big display of negative emotionality, I go into a fear response. And so I'll end up You know, kind of checking my needs at the door and just kind of forget about them, and that might be fine for a short time, let's say a few hours or a few days or a few weeks, depending on what's going on. But over time, then resentment builds, and I'll start to feel frustrated silently towards my wife that hey, I haven't had a chance to meet my needs, or let's say I've no longer been able to exercise on a regular basis because of you know some you know kind of chaotic stretch of parenting that's that's come about. And you know, then at some point I'll blow up. You know, I'll get frustrated and I'll. Take it out on one of our kids or on her, and so to bringing bringing that whole dynamic into awareness, and then proactively starting to vocalize, "What are my needs right now?" and doing the feelings and needs check in that I work with other men. So, so these are things that I'm, I still have to actively work on. You know, the the emotional intensity gets ratcheted up in my home for a little while, and I. By myself right again struggling with abandoning my own needs and forgetting to tend to myself in the same ways that i need to thrive and to be able to show up fully for for fathers and so this is work that i'm, I'm doing on myself and we're i'm doing the practices right alongside men and some of the programs that i'm doing around this but a lot of this i think stems to forcing ourselves to ask The uncomfortable questions of what do I need? And and now, how do I vocalize that need? How do I communicate it? Even if it's going to be, let's say, initially met with some resistance or a reaction from my wife because she hasn't gotten her needs met. And to get out of this, you know, kind of no one can win, or if someone's going to get their needs met, someone else has to be losing, right? This kind of either or mentality to how can we actually both meet our needs, you know, with a little, little bit more creativity here? And So I think awareness, again, comes is a big piece of it. Courage, frankly, is a big piece of it is a lot of men, I think need to, they end up having to cultivate more courage. I'm the same way, like, I have to cultivate more courage to actually own my needs to vocalize my needs to consistently hold boundaries about a need that I need to fulfill um it doesn't mean that I'm I'm completely rigid about it but let's just say that I I need to regularly have at least some amount of exercise multiple days a week let's say five plus days a week I want to do something doesn't mean that I I always have to do it right at the scheduled time if I need to switch it I can but then it's following up and actually making sure that it still happens right it's kind of negotiating those kinds of things so I don't know if that's answered your question but I'll just say that it's a big edge that I I still find myself wrestling with and I'll make progress and then life intensity gets ratcheted up and a whole nother level of growth is, you know, is presented or an opportunity is presented and it's uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I think it's a work in progress for all of us to to relearn how to connect to all this. I presume you're familiar with the work of Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication. And I think they had, I mean, their needs and feelings inventories are so, so helpful for, for getting more understanding and awareness and clarity about what specific needs might be unmet or which of the many really speaks to you most in this moment? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then, yeah, finding ways to do it. And I think what I'm often reminded of and when I'm listening to you speak, I'm, I'm thinking about it often when you're sharing is, is how we need to make space for reflection and how we need support in this process. It's it's really very, very, very difficult. I'd say probably impossible to be doing this by ourselves without connection to others who are also doing it and without support and, and help to get real clarity for ourselves about where we're at in this current moment, what we're feeling, what we're needing it's uh it's it's so much easier if you have somebody sharing the process with you and supporting you in that journey wh- whether you are coaching others to do it or whether you're right at the beginning of the process yourself
1: absolutely I, I mean i think having some form of community where we can go to to process and explore and at times offload what we're carrying you know get some reflection, or challenge, or compassion, or support around it is huge. Um, you know, I sit in a couple of circles where you know there are men who are my peers, and they are some of my kind of most go-to resources when I'm having a moment of, let's say, my own internal emotional crisis. Rather than trying to just kind of you know ride the waves of myself, sometimes it's really supportive for me to just call one of them or to just leave them a long audio message just vocalizing where i'm at you know leave them a little rant or you know just kind of this emotional offloading with one of them and it just gives me a little bit of space and and what's really helpful is to have a men who can relate to my experience as a father in the situation and the challenges around that and be someone who is completely neutral to the situation there are times that my wife can, let's say, be someone who's my companion and helping me work through emotions. But when the conflict is with her, it's harder, right, for us to actually be able to navigate that. So having people on the outside who are available, either for, let's say, a live conversation, or who can just be the recipient of a message that may not be listened to in real time, those I find to be really powerful tools. Um, You know, sitting in a men's circle on a regular basis, I think is extremely beneficial for fathers. It was one of the most powerful pieces of my own journey as a father, when I first started to sit in a men's circle for fathers, maybe about a somewhere between six months and I think a year into fatherhood, I started to do that. And it was just such powerful medicine for me um, to have other men just sharing different challenges, but the same caliber of challenges, the same hardship and all these areas where I thought I was alone dealing with these things and realizing, whoa, pretty much every dad is, whether or not you see it on the surface, is wrestling with a lot. And he's under a lot of strain and stress, or he's got these pains and these challenges that he may not necessarily vocalize or show, but they're, they're very real. So I think as we start to build up let's say an emotional awareness and vocabulary it's also really useful to be in community and have the support of some particularly neutral you know support that is there for us and we're there for them
0: yeah it's just so central isn't it and i think that's something that was a really fundamental aspect of aware parenting is to really be encouraging all parents to be reaching out for support to be having safe spaces where they regularly go and get listening from other people who who understand this approach and who can hear them and hold space for them without advising or shaming or judging or commenting, but just to be holding space for that and often non-negotiable really for me in my life. And I think it's really makes so much difference for us to know when we're in the midst of big feelings that we have somewhere to go and voice them even whether it's, like you say, somebody listening to you and having a conversation, which is something that I do about once a week with somebody and we share half an hour each and we just are on the phone for half an hour where we would just talk and listen to each other, hold that space. And at the end, we often say, you know, would you like a reflection or would you just want to have been heard? And then we share the other person then does the same thing. And in addition to that, I also have two people who I send voice notes to and who send voice notes to me. And the combination of of those three people in my life who I connect with very, very regularly, I mean, pretty much daily with the voice noting and at least once a week with the the listening partnership, it just has completely transformed my, my parenting journey and my experience of being a human outside of being a parent as well. And I wonder how we can support more men with this, because I think increasingly women are understanding or or receiving this information in spaces where they have access to this kind of support. But I think in the wider culture for men, there is still quite a disconnect between, I suppose, willingness to be vulnerable and to show up and to and that impression in our culture that vulnerability is somehow weakness so how how can we encourage more more men to to understand the universal need that we all have for this and then to start taking steps to be able to actually be willing to reach out and to receive this kind of support and to be offering it to other men too
1: yeah it's i mean such a Fundamental challenge, I think, that we face, you know, kind of collectively as men and, and fathers in particular, because I think fathers often just have a level of emotional intensity in their lives that's so ratcheted up, um, you know, with especially, I mean, at all at all stages of parenthood, just the the intensities evolve over time. Um, I, one of the biggest things I think is just debunking the myth of the the lone wolf path, right? I think a lot of times we we get stuck in this paradigm of assuming that the the path of strength is the path we take alone that we have to keep all of the challenges we face bottled up inside that we can't express any of it for fear that it'll it will be perceived as weakness and so the lone wolf path being you know admired or or revered in our you know in our kind of modern day culture and What is true is the opposite, and that you know, the path of lone wolf is not necessarily a productive path or a strong path to be taking. It's often one where we're we're actually afraid. It's it's a path I think that a lot of men end up taking out of fear of being perceived as weak or being perceived as flawed or you know having some type of problems in their lives. And so, you know, I think one of the most beautiful Gifts of authentic male community is when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable over time, we 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 also allow other people to see in us and reflect back all of these warped, you know, limiting beliefs that we carry or just kind of misinterpretations of reality about how we can't meet our needs or why we can't do something or how, you know, just like having for me at least personally having other men who have seen me in my points of you know humility of being on my knees of being brought to my edges or or you know just to, to moments where i feel like i've failed you know as a husband or as a man or as a father um, where i haven't shown up in the ways that i've wanted to and to have men who've seen me in those moments and can lovingly and compassionately hold me in in my you know moments of challenge and also offer me reflection or offer me you know some much needed insight into where am I kind of uh, living in a kind of warped or detached version of reality when you know or just i've maybe i need support around something and so i think a lot of a lot of us as men we we assume that Vulnerability means weakness. Vulnerability means you know, having to admit that we somehow aren't good enough at, at doing something. And that's kind of comes at complete odds with this, you know, cultural desire of like I must project strength and, and capability. And so I think for men to kind of rewrite the the story around what vulnerability is, and I just I would define it as allowing ourselves to be seen in our humanity in the imperfect, flawed, but ultimately perfect form of ourselves. And that that's such a huge, actually, source of strength, right? And it's the source of all of the, I would say, bonding that comes about in the men's circle comes from vulnerability. It's not from a bunch of men trying to get even stronger or more, you know, better at carrying their armor around. It comes from men being being willing to be real about what's hard, about what they're struggling with, um, about what their edges are. So. I think the biggest way to help men kind of break that apart is to get men to try out sitting in the the men's circle that's facilitated by someone who can hold a space where it's safe to express vulnerability. And one of the biggest things to do is to model that, right? When men see another man being vulnerable, it puts their guard down. And so uh, one of the things I try to do when I run, you know, whether it's a local men's circle here, a program online is i model for my own life here's the places where i'm struggling here's the places where i feel like i'm missing the mark or here's the places where i'm being worked right now and i don't feel like i'm getting it right or that i'm i feel just so pushed to my edge or beyond it and that often just gets men to open up very quickly rather than trying to pretend like we've somehow got it together you know in every every corner of our lives
0: yes yeah it's about being real isn't it and i think What I was really touched by when you were talking there is providing spaces where men feel that safety to be able to express. And I think that's true for women too. And because of the way that we were raised, it wasn't safe to express feelings for the vast majority of us. And so we can really see how the impact of us being raised in that way is that we have to relearn how to feel that safety and to and that's that's difficult because you know all of our lives we've tightly held in the way that we feel in order to stay safe and now we're having to learn how to feel safe and to be open to actually exploring what we're feeling and sharing what we're feeling with others. So it's really tricky. And, of course, then we can see how important it is for us to be offering this to our children so our children grow up knowing that it's safe to show up and be who they are in the full authenticity of their expression of of them, however they're feeling in any moment, and for us to try to be there to hold that space and, and to welcome them and to love them unconditionally. So it's really difficult because on the one hand, we didn't receive that and we're having to unlearn all that stuff for ourselves, whilst also offering completely the opposite to our children so that they are able to grow up and, and need less of this unlearning when they reach adulthood and to be carrying less of that baggage from their childhood through into their adult lives. It's a lot to be doing, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah, that's so, so well said. I think we might have touched on this a little bit in our last conversation, but I think one of the big kind of paradigm shifts for me was starting, I, I think I I came into fatherhood wanting to do it perfectly, you know, and I wanted to not repeat the things that I perceived as, let's say, some of the shortcomings or mistakes that my parents had made. And I wanted to, let's say, build upon the things I thought they did well. But I set this this lofty high bar for how I wanted to show up as a dad. And in reality, there's no way I was going to continuously be meeting that bar. And I think the, the learning for me was recognizing that it's only when I start to make mistakes that, A, I can bring awareness to what patterns or baggage I'm carrying that prevent me from actually parenting, let's say, at the level that I want to show up as uh, or at. And the other big piece of it is that that's the moment where we teach our children how to be human, right? It's, it's in our moment of making a mistake that that's where the great lessons come from. And we can actually model for them like, this is how we handle conflict resolution. Or this is how we handle making a repair. This is how we handle ourselves when we've made them, like when we've messed up in some capacity and showing them what that looks like and i I think there's just there's such a need for more of that especially amongst men to openly let's say apologize when they they mess up and to name you know this is what i wish i had done differently and i'm sorry that i did this and having that conversation and and being able to name it because i think a lot of times when we were growing up especially our father figures they wouldn't necessarily name things that they would they were holding, they're like, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. That was a mistake. They a lot of times that just wasn't named. And so we don't necessarily have an embodied memory of how to do that. So we have to kind of fumble our way through that as as parents. And yeah, I think there's so many good points you're making around having to like help help we have to unlearn these things in ourselves and hopefully give our children as little that they have to unlearn as possible when they're adults.
0: Yes, yeah, and I think it's. I love how you describe that, and I think what we're trying to do really is to support for all of us how to learn the language of compassion, having never heard it ourselves, and how to learn the language of apology, having never really heard it ourselves too. So it is often about like relearning a, a new a language that we always came here with the capacity to be able to offer it is what is innately human and yet we kind of unlearn it or or never learn it in the first place because we're not surrounded by it. So I guess that's also probably I, I imagine part of the men's circle Uh, around experiencing compassion and being held with compassion and receiving compassion and learning what compassion sounds like so that you can then start to offer it to yourself and to your partner and to your children. And similarly with around repair and apology. Do you talk specifically about those things in your men's circle?
1: It it just depends on the environment, what's coming up and where men are at. I mean, a lot of times men that are, are drawn to start participating in a men's circle, I think already have a level of awareness in their parenting that that it's messy and they need to own their times and mistakes. And so a lot of times the men that are in circles or programs with me, they're they're already at a place where they are, they might already have a tendency to apologize when they know that they've messed up or to name something that's gone awry. But I think a lot of times what we end up doing is we deepen our ability to meaningfully hold our our, our child and their emotion, emotional state, and not Just want to make a repair so that we can feel better, frankly, about what we might have done wrong, but also just hold the child and and their feeling of hurt and to validate that feeling for them, you know, in that whole process. And so I think just navigating navigating that that whole bit of work that we need to do in parenting more skillfully with more capacity. So how do I, my kid is really angry with me, let's say about something or frustrated about something that I've said or or done or their perceived sense of unfairness in a moment or whatever it might be. How can I increase my capacity so I can actually hold space for their feelings and not get swept away? Let's say my daughter's big emotions about the fact that she's not going to have a phone yet, um, you know, (laughs) and things um along those lines instead of just getting frustrated and stuck in my own emotional storm and response or in in reaction to what she's what she's feeling so those are i guess some of the the pieces where um i feel like a lot of times we'll end up kind of deepening in those areas but um i feel like there's just been this huge kind of generational shift too around dads a being more engaged figures in their kids lives and their parents might have been and b having a bit more kind of emotional depth and texture to their relationships with their kids, where it's not just dad's the one who I roughhouse with and play with, but then he's not necessarily an emotionally available person for emotional intimacy of other forms. I think a lot of men have really shifted around that.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think there's been a big shift in that and and it makes so much difference to to children's lives and to and to the whole family actually when men are having more of that emotional depth and capacity to to sit with discomfort both for themselves and to sit in the discomfort of their children's big feelings too so do you talk specifically in your groups too about that in in parenting and and give support and guidance to men in, in how to be in that? Because often it is, well, for some men, I suppose it's often easier to do more of the play and the roughhousing and the laughter connection with their children. But there's so much value in in learning how to sit with big feelings and to hold space for big feelings in our children. Do you talk specifically about how we can support more men to be able to do that?
1: Yeah, that's a big topic that I definitely do a lot of work with men around is I would say building or expanding our capacity to hold space for the emotional storm and whether it's of a partner or it's of a child and essentially just giving men a, a little bit more awareness of where their triggers lie, right? And so exploring the terrain of Okay, I'm likely to get triggered in a situation where my partner is really angry and dysregulated because that's triggering a situation that was present in my childhood home or home of origin, and I didn't feel safe then. And so it was a natural reaction for me to drop into my reptilian brain as a kid and just just bringing awareness to the fact that that happens. And then I'm showing up from a place of reactivity and a survival instinct rather than a place of openness. And a lot of times we might carry that leftover trauma and maybe not necessarily as severe or intensive a trauma as something that we might typically associate with that word. But a lot of times we carry these, these patterns from childhood where there, there might've been a more intense level of fear or even a concern for our survival. Let's say dad is really angry and upset and if he goes a couple notches further, I might literally get hurt quite badly by a dysregulated parent. And so a lot of children, I think, carry the sense of fear in the face of really intense or dysregulated anger so for me personally I'll carry that for my old relationship with my father and my daughter gets really dysregulated and I will really find it hard to not drop into my own reptilian brain and start to get dysregulated myself because I even though I've got my seven-year-old daughter who isn't going to hurt me in any way of significance and physically or really emotionally she's she's still triggering that pathway so just bringing awareness to okay that's going to get triggered can I now that I am triggered? Can I still stay connected to my breath or to my feet in the moment? You know, being on the ground, can I stay connected? Can I stay in my body at least a little bit, as opposed to getting completely swamped out by those big emotions that that person's having, my my daughter in this case, and my own emotional reactivity to it? And so, you know, I'll do physical practices with men to help them practice being in the state of of either mild to relatively extreme discomfort and staying present with it and watching where am I going in the state of physical discomfort? And how am I trying to escape the discomfort as opposed to just being with it? Can I be present with it? Can I smile into the discomfort? And so we'll do practices, whether it's breath work or physical practices that actually help men expand that capacity to sit with discomfort and we'll do it at a time where the discomfort let's say is physical it's not emotional but it gives men a chance to to work with some tools that they can then take into their lives where there is an emotional trigger and with some more awareness and some more tools they might be able to show up differently now it might be that they successfully could be just showing up differently 10 percent of the time at first in these triggering situations we can't have this expectation of oh now i know what my triggers are and i've got this little tool i'm not going to get triggered anymore it's like fat chance we're going to get <laughs> triggered over and over again but can we start to just make these incremental shifts that over time become really powerful and profound? But yes, that's absolutely something that I think men can work with. And I find that there's two things I'll work with men around. One is, can we bring awareness to and help dismantle some of these longer triggers? And the second is, can we build more capacity to hold, hold those emotional storms, both within us and others around us? And some of that is building our capacity With some of these practices and part of it is just taking care of ourselves so that we're not showing up with no room left in our nervous system to then hold the additional intensity that we might encounter so can we exercise can we have downtime i do a guided meditation nervous system regulation meditation every day it might be as short as five minutes if that's all i've got time for but at least do it the days i don't do it my wife knows (laughs) she's like you didn't do your joda spends a meditation this morning and so you know those are the kinds of things that i'll i'll offer man and that's that's really a profound part of the work that we'll do
0: i love how you describe that i think that's really really powerful i would really love every father in the world to hear that last answer i think that would be amazing and i loved how you brought in the sense well, first of all, the real compassionate understanding of how hard it is when we find ourselves in those moments where there's something about our children's behavior that is touching deeply painful parts of ourself and the, the fact that we do have the ability to bring our awareness to that, to increase our understanding of that, and then to start to implement practices to support us in those moments. But I also really loved how you're talking about the fact that they're actually are real powerful gifts in these triggers when we're able to see it that way because it's actually showing us exactly which parts of us would love some tenderness, some love, some acknowledgement, some care. And then I really also loved what you're doing about talking about in terms of building in more capacity for ourselves generally in our lives, so that in those moments, our nervous system has. I think you said there's no room left in your nervous system. I think that's a really powerful way to describe it. So bringing in these practices that support us to have more room in our nervous system to be able to do it. And so that the next time we face a similar situation, that like you say, Pushes us into that reptilian part of our brain. We are able to have more spaciousness to be able to tolerate it, or we feel it less intensely, or we feel it intensely but it lasts less long. And then we can look back and see, wow, we're, we're this is changing. This is still really difficult, and my goodness, it really pushes me, and it's really really hard. But I can see progress, and that's what healing is. Of course, it's not about it being done, but it's just about being able to be in it and with it with less less unbearable pain for ourselves in that moment
1: absolutely yeah i think i mean just this last week my wife had gone on for a four day retreat and you know during the time that she was away solo dad a lot of it and you know overall did a pretty good job i think of you know holding it together and parenting from a place of presence and love and connectedness with my kids and then after she got back she had a really long drive on the way home. And so I let her sleep in the following morning. But at that point, I think, you know, everyone been keeping it together. My kids are pretty dysregulated. We went rock climbing the following morning, but it was just kind of this <laughs> disaster of a morning. And I was also just kind of out of patience and, you know, frustrated and was just starting to uh, no longer be able to hold space for my kids' behavior and was starting to feel frustrated or just, you know, saying things that, you know, I think probably made my daughter feel a little shamed. You know, and I don't, I don't like, so that's where I'd gotten to, but you know, it was in that moment I had no more space left in my cup, right? My ner- my my cup was completely full. My, my nervous system had no more room to take on and hold any more space, you know, for for my kids, you know, behavior at that point. And then got back home and ended up doing that, you know, a half hour nervous system regulation meditation. And it was like I had a completely different second half of my day after that. But it's just and it created enough space in my cup to be able to then hold what was going on in the household again and so i think sometimes as these little nervous system hygiene practices can be we, we can think of them as luxuries but they're so profoundly important if we want to not have the ship or the you know train going off the rails in terms of how we're showing up you know around some of these challenging and triggering situations and i i think i'll add is that you know i talk with men about this i I believe on such a deep level that we have a soul contract with our children, that we have this soul level relationship with our kids, that we, it's a it's a mutually kind of picked out relationship between parent and child, and we are going to present some parenting flaws and probably you know hurt and wound them in ways that are part of their kind of life's work, and they are also going to help. Uh, they're going to pick at and, and poke the buttons and trigger the wounds in us that we need to work on as parents and there I believe is this contract where that's the work that we're going to be doing as Souls together in our parent-child relationship and when we can orient to what's going on from this place of this is here for our our kind of evolution and growth as humans it kind of takes away some of the edge it's not that the individual situations that trigger us aren't still really intense but when we can bring a little bit of space around it and recognize wow thank you like like my daughter is helping me wake up and grow here as opposed to she's just (laughs) the source of my suffering in this moment or something along those lines or frustration or whatever it might be and having a willingness to have some gratitude for the ways that, that our kids are doing the uncomfortable work themselves of triggering us because it's not pleasant to be around a triggered parent. <laughs> it's not. I mean, if we think back to like how frightening it might have been to anger, or upset one of our parents and have to deal with you know those big feelings, uh, it's not comfortable. And so our kids are really offering us an enormous gift. It's not easy work. And so anyway, I think when we look at it as a sole contract, it also it gives us more capacity to forgive ourselves for our inherent missteps and mistakes as parents.
0: Yeah, beautiful. That's really beautiful. And I love that because it really brings this sense of loving connection between us and our children, even when things are really difficult. There's still this really powerful, loving connection between us. And it allows us to see their behavior and our behavior in this really compassionate and unconditionally loving way rather than going into judgment or you know telling ourselves all kinds of really unhelpful things about ourselves or our children in that moment that that makes it all so much worse when we do go into that so it's a really beautiful way of coming back to this being loving and and being feeling this deep connection with our children which is just so joyful and beautiful and powerful too yeah thank you Jay, I'm aware of the time. Is there anything else that you would like to speak about today that we haven't touched on? I know we've talked about a lot of different things, but is there anything else that you think would be really helpful for, for fathers to to understand?
1: There's nothing jumping out right at this moment, Joss. I mean, I think that the the soul contract we carry with our kids is something that just was uh, falling into my consciousness as we were talking. And I would just, I would reiterate the suggestion to men, if you don't have some form of a men's group or circle or or forum for where you can get real with other men about what's actually going on in your life and the challenges you face as a father and be able to talk things through and maybe pick up some tools, but at a minimum, just have a space to be able to talk and be heard and to be held or or seen by other men in a way that's not going to be judgmental, but instead actually helps you move through Whatever challenges you're facing, I think a lot of times men get stuck because they're they're following that the myth of the lone wolf. They're living that out, and they they get discalcified in emotional states, and they can't move through. And part of that is that they don't even have anyone to talk to about what's going on. So the simple act of getting to participate in a men's circle, or even just having an authentic connection with a, this one male friend that you can actually open up with and get get real with, I think, is this such a profoundly beneficial, um, you know, just ingredient in a man's life that we've we've really lost touch with. And that's one of the things I think that's really shifted since we moved from tribal culture to our present day culture, where, you know, men don't sit in a circle any longer as part of a normal daily or weekly or regular kind of activity in the way that we might have done in a tribal setting that just is no longer there maybe it's present but it's talking about sports or you know just shallow surface level things as opposed to the real substantial challenges that we might face in life so yeah whether it's just it's a it's just a container just to to be heard or it's a container to do you know more guided work and to go deeper and to learn tools and do practices I can't recommend it enough you know i've got a number of offerings for men in in that regard but you know whether it's a local group i mean there's something that's also really powerful about doing in-person work right if you can find a local in-person group that's great and sometimes you know the online programs are also really supportive and in some ways like easier to make happen with the busy kind of schedules that we carry uh, as fathers if we don't have to go somewhere just can get on a computer or something so That's what all. those are some, I guess, parting thoughts I'll share in terms of suggestions.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And I'll put all the links in the show description to your website and to the offerings that you have there, which I think are amazing. And if I, if I look back now, I mean, my children now are 20 and 17, but if I look back now to the early days of parenting, the one thing I would do differently is to get much, much more support and listening and, and help. And yeah, much more of that experience of being heard, being held, being seen being understood and really wish that for all parents to have as much of that as they would like
1: yes and not try and not try and make your kid understand what your experience is like as a parent
0: (laughs) yeah take that to the right place yeah yeah Yeah. oh jay thank you so much for being willing to make time to come and talk to us again i really really love listening to you speaking and i can really imagine that fathers are going to get so much out of this conversation as well as our last one just around understanding more about what's going on for them in their lives and how that they can get help and some easy practices that they can start to bring into their lives to to cope with the the storms the emotional storms and to be able to hold space for the emotional storms that are part of life so thank you so much for sharing
1: thanks so much for having me joss it's absolute pleasure talking about these things with you
0: Thank you for joining me on Aware Parenting Stories. I hope you enjoyed this episode. To find out more, please visit my website, www.awareparenting.com.au and follow me on social media at Aware Parenting with Joss. I wish you much connection and love on your parenting adventures.